Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're picking up a 2-5. So, so far, Paul has been, comes right out of the starting block. Big matter, important matter. We've got to correct this immediately. But we can't have more than one truth. And he's going to beat on that a while longer. That's the, the, the issue at hand. So, in verse 5, yeah, we did not give in to them. It's referring to these uh, false prophets, these spies that tried deliberately to infiltrate into the, the true Christian ranks and begin to mislead people by adding all this Jewish stuff to the gospel. And so Paul says, yeah, we didn't give them, we didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. So he just keeps beating this truth, truth, truth. He's saying it's important. What I want you to do is to convince me of the importance of truth. Tell me why truth is so important. Because I don't know if I believe that yet. <laughs> There's a practical application, yes. That's very true. Yeah, we'll get in contradiction here shortly. It's also misleading. Okay, so not maintaining the truth is misleading. Okay, keep going. Doesn't the scripture say that the truth will set us free? Right. So by not maintaining the truth, you are offering yourself to be bound up in a prison of Sin. untruth. Sin, lies, bad stuff, yeah. darkness. Yuck. Don't want that. All right? So the only remedy to that prison is to be a person of truth. Okay? What else is important about truth? Well, you have to make you seek to find out what is the truth. Okay? So there's a... There's a goal in mind that we're trying to, to, to seek out. So the truth isn't going to fall out of the sky on us, and we have to... So what you're saying is there's some work on our part involved in this. We have to make ourselves available to discover the truth, and that's what we're trying to do right here, right? Just look at what this says and, and adopt that truth as our life truth. Good. What else? As a parent, a leader teacher and you have children the truth is most important you know if you're going to teach and try to influence yeah you better do it that way what would be the result of the the flip side of that well you're teaching lies, lies and what and all the rest what, of the garbage what what will that result in long term in the life of a child they'll think it's okay they'll think it's okay to yeah mm -hmm. That's the worst 
they will. They'll grow up knowing that that's the way. That's what mom said. Right. We actually model that bad behavior, yeah. and therefore, that's what the kids will grow up with. Yeah. So, no good can come from this. Can you think of anything else that's so important about maintaining the truth? Well, if you care what other people think about you, mm. you want them to think that you're a for real person or a liar. It's hard to overcome that 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 lie, isn't it? Uh, that really works in all relationships. I mean that, but yeah, that really conveys a, a level of trust, and yeah, certainly with with marriages and a relationship with children, but really all your friends. I mean, all the people you associate with. Um, yeah, that that truth factor conveys trust, and without trust, you really don't have a relationship. It it wipes wipes a relationship out very very quickly. How about in the workplace? Would you rather work for a, a liar or one that yeah. bases their business on the truth? Yep, just an honest business person. Yeah, it would be really hard to work for a person that's doing something, you know, improper, immoral, or illegal. It uh, it'd be hard to support somebody like that because you're associating with that. Yep. So, all right, you pretty well convinced me. But let's say I'm okay with 95% of the truth. 5% lie. You're made in the image of the Lord. Say some more about that. That's not accepted. 95% is not good enough. Okay. Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. Yes. He's the truth. That's the way we are. Yep. Sort of like being pregnant, either you are. Or you're yeah. I've been around the block a few times. <laughs> the yeah, you you can't be ninety five percent pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The truth is absolute. The truth is an unchangeable principle. The truth is what we stand on. That when we go astray. When we get mixed up, we, that's the thing we have, the focus point to go back to and mm-hmm. say, what is it? This is it, if we do go astray. Right. So uh, perhaps the, the, the image described in Scripture of the straight and narrow, you know, you're, you're on a path of truth, getting off of that, getting into a ditch somewhere, then we should be wise enough to say, well, this isn't right, and get ourselves back on the truthful path, yeah. And 95%, you're not on that. Right. You're, you're doing that. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. Right. A, you know, a big, big joke in our family is, this was, oh my gosh, this must have been 40 years ago, but we still remember it, still make fun of my mother for this. Um, we, were, we were doing something there in the kitchen, and, and she, she told one of us to, to go lock the door a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, same thing. I mean, you're pregnant, you, you, doors either locked or it isn't. You can't lock a door a little bit. You know, you're going to keep 95% of criminals out, but, you know, that other 5% can just have free reign to come in. So, so but, I mean, what Paul is struggling with and what we struggle with today is the culture, their culture back then was being infiltrated with untruth and people were accepting it. And when you accept untruth and base that with truth, by definition, you are 
watering down the truth. So they're trying to maintain a church that is not 95% truth. It's more like 50-50 is what they had done. And why Paul is just you know, running around with his hair on fire. I mean, this is bad. This is really bad. You haven't just changed a little bit. You're changing the entire essence of the gospel by, by bringing the law back into it and now placing that as an equal high order along with you know, the, the, the truth of the gospel. It can't be both and. It has to be either or. And that's what we find in our culture today. We're bombarded constantly with people trying to tell us, well, sure, that Jesus thing's okay, but you also have to do this. Or you have to believe this. And so bring in all this other you know, non-truthful, non-biblical stuff in. A lot of people that don't know what Scripture says are, well, okay, it sounds good to me. And they go along with it because it, in a sense, makes common sense. It if we were designing religion, that's what we would do. We, we, we justify it in our minds and, 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 and think that. But we have to understand what this is. This is the truth that is not you know, cut down in any degree, watered down or anything. This is the essence of truth. And Paul shared that truth with them, but then they allowed all these other people to begin to influence them. And by the time he's writing now, it is so far off the rails I mean, Dina, it's you're not on a straight and narrow. I mean, you're you're a mile and a half away in the woods somewhere, and you know, I mean, you can't see the forest for the trees at that point. They can't find their way out because they, at that point, when you add so much untruth, you no longer can identify what the truth is. You see, you're looking at it and saying, "I don't even know what what is the truth anymore," and then not knowing that, of course, then you're going to allow even more untruth in. So over the course of time, you're going to wind up with zero truth and 100% lie. By allowing you know, 1% untruth into, eventually that will erode away till you have no, no truth at all. It'll lose sight of it. It'll lose sight of the truth. Right. It, it, it blinds you to what, 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 what the truth is. Now, talk about weathermen. Yeah, I mean, I, just rough estimate, I would think they're maybe 30% right. <laughs> They're right 30% of the time. Now, how would that be if, if the preacher was given that same latitude? That 30% of every sermon is true. 70% is false. And you have to figure out what the truth is. How would that work? <laughs> right? That would just be ridiculous. Right? So... You have to, it has to be 100% truth. It has to be maintained in that. And we, we have to honor that. We, we, we have to preserve that. We have to do everything we can to promote that. That's what Christians are to do because there is so much lie out there, so much untruth, it's unbelievable. People have pacified themselves with that which is not true. And it's our job to bring to them the truth that will be the light of Christ in in their life. Now, when you're a witness in a courtroom situation, remember watching Perry Mason? <laughs> and all of a sudden, then he's in a wheelchair and he's Ironside, right? So, you know, all those courtroom situations, right? I mean, way back when, held a Bible out, put your left hand on a Bible, what do you do? You raise your right hand and you say, I promise to tell pretty much all the truth. <laughs> whenever I feel like it 
So help me God, amen. Right? Is that what they said? Remember what they said? I promise to tell the whole truth. Right? So it's actually, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Three times. Right? The whole truth. 100% truth. Now, that, that's, that's the basis of our judicial system, right? I mean, we're smart to figure that out. Because if you have a witness on the stand telling anything other than 100% truth, the whole courtroom situation becomes a mockery. And that's why we have penalty and punishment for those who perjure themselves, who do not tell the truth. It's a very serious matter because we are basing the judgment on what you tell us. If you tell us false information, then that, that, that by its very definition changes what really should have been. The truth is really, really important. Paul knows that. And he's now trying to break into the mind and heart of these Galatian churches and remind them how important it really is. How could you allow yourself? I mean, if you go back to 1.6, I mean, just hilarious. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished. In other words, are you kidding me? <laughs> How ridiculous you are by doing this. Now, go to verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external experience. These men added nothing to my message. What in the world is he saying there? That's a very strange sentence. Okay, so you were looking at the external and a guy that had flowery speech and looked good, you believed everything he said. Now, again, Paul's physical description was the exact opposite of what you would call a, you know, a televangelist, right? Or most politicians, right? We just vote for the best looking guy, right? We'll listen to the good looking guy. Paul was the exact opposite. Just a short little hunched over guy and uh, was not, and he was a terrible speaker. Besides that, so he had nothing going for him except the truth of the gospel. So the, the, the outward appearance gets in, in, in the way. So Paul says, who seem to be important. What, what is the criteria for being important in God's eyes? Apparently for them, the, the criteria for being important was you look good and you, you, you could speak well. You can speak well and still mislead and <laughs> t tell lies. Okay, so what what would God say is important? Somebody that tells the truth. All right, comes back to the truth again. So it doesn't matter if you're doing it with flowery speech. It doesn't matter even if you're a good communicator, but telling the truth. And so. Paul now is comparing himself with these other false teachers who have come into these Galatian churches. But Paul also says 
Now, again, going back to the definition we've already given of the truth. The truth is unadulterated. Nothing is added, nothing is subtracted. Remember, we looked, looked at a Revelation passage last week. If you add to this, I'm going <laughs> to add to your curses. You know, if you subtract from this, I will subtract from you your, your stake in heaven. Right? So, very, very serious. So, Paul is saying, these men added nothing to my message. Now, what, what does he mean by that? They gave it no credibility. Okay. Say some more about that. Well, they, they, didn't, they didn't do anything to add to the value of it or to the credibility or to add to the truth, to make it more truthful. In other words, he gave it, you couldn't improve it, and they certainly did not. So... Right, so Paul say, I gave you 100% truth, you can't add anything over and above 100%. So they, they've added nothing, but in fact have subtracted from it. Weren't they adding their law to what he had already told them? Yes. They were trying but, to say, do this, this is right, but you also need... But the, the, the psychological process is, I have to delete some truth to be able to, I mean, 100% is all you can have, right? So if Paul gave them 100% truth, they had to pull out some truth and then replace. And that's the danger, you see? So they are actually guilty of doing both things in Revelation said that thou shalt not do. They added to and took away from. Yeah. Incredibly, incredibly dangerous. So Paul shared with them the complexity of God the, the fullness and richness of God. And in so doing, they understood their need to worship God and not be worshiping an external appearance. Now again, you know, people back then did not have the printed scriptures as we do. Understand completely. They had it a lot rougher than we do. They had nothing, no standard by which to, to, to make evaluations on these things. But Paul's saying, you, yeah, I gave you the truth. The truth was in you. You let it get watered down. So he's not letting them off the hook. You can understand how it happened, but still is holding them accountable for allowing it to happen in their own lives. <coughs> now, then, back, back... Go ahead. I was going to say, but then you have to believe that Paul is telling you the truth. Yes. Now, that works because, let's go back to, <laughs> we keep going back to Romans. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. The Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to confirm the truth. So when you hear the truth, you then say, yes. That's where the church tradition has begun of saying, amen. I agree with that. The Spirit is confirming the truth you just said to me. And I agree with it, and I, 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 I believe that wholeheartedly. So we have a confirmation of the Holy Spirit in us, which they had. But then they allowed... And that's what I was going to say. But yeah. then you allow someone to come in and right. just distort one or two items. And, and just chip away, chip away, chip away. Then right. maybe you lose your credibility in Paul. Right. And yep, that's exactly what happened. Yep. But, yeah, like I say, it, they, they knew it was the truth because the Holy Spirit confirmed it. They believed it absolutely when Paul was there. 
and then they allowed it to get away from them. Paul has already referred to the Jerusalem leaders. And you know, he's gone through that whole story now of how he went to them and they agreed and everything else. But what Paul is saying is, you know, don't believe the Jerusalem leaders. Don't believe James and Peter and John and all the rest of the apostles. You know, don't believe them just because they say they, they walked around with Jesus for three years. You believe them because they are revealing the truth to you, that the Spirit then is confirming. Now, Paul referred to those Jerusalem leaders as those who seem to be leaders. He's not really being sarcastic. He's simply saying that Paul is on an equal level with the Jerusalem leaders. He's not better than them, but he's on equal level with them. And even those leaders, when they met, remember, they agreed on everything. They could not add anything to, Paul, to Paul's gospel. So in other words, Paul keeps, keeps reminding them, I have and I maintain and I shared with you 100% truth. No matter how you look at it, that's what I did with you. Paul left nothing out. In verse 8, Paul gives Peter credit for honoring his calling to be a witness for Christ. But in the same breath, Paul also gives himself credit. <laughs> kind of what Paul does. Right? So, it's always fun. But then he names James and John. Now again, those are, those are the original James and John were the brothers who were the sons of Zebedee, but that James was the first disciple killed. This James, again, is Jesus' half-brother, a child of Mary and Joseph. So he now has become the premier leader. We're going to see in a little bit, well, actually, by the time we get down to verse 11, of the historical happenings there that Peter now is in Antioch. He's no longer in Jerusalem. Because the persecution had begun, Peter, of course, as the head of the church, had the biggest price on his head. Therefore, the only way he could preserve, not save his life, but save his ministry, was to get out of Jerusalem. And he goes to Antioch. The, the, the word in Greek is called diaspora, the dispersion. So the, 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 the persecution was so great in Jerusalem, you could not be a Christian and stay there. They would find you, they would kill you, and thus the Christian message would be lost. So the only way to preserve the Christian message was to scatter. And they went everywhere, all over the place. But that, as bad as it was, finally forced the early church to get out of Jerusalem and do what Jesus said at the Ascension when he gave the Great Commission. He didn't say, go back to Jerusalem and just stay there. He said, go into all the world. Somehow they forgot that part. So this forced them to literally go into all the world. <coughs> In verse 10, find this to be a really critical verse, because after that meeting with, with uh, Paul and the big guns, 
spending the time they did together, the only thing noted after that conversation, since they had totally agreed on every aspect of the Christian faith, on what the truth is, again, that's really important for your leaders to agree. Once they came to that agreement, then as Paul is leaving, the only thing they specify is that Paul would continue to remember the poor. Which he says, I was already eager to do that anyway. Remember back in Romans, near the end of Romans, Paul is saying that he's taking up a collection from the Gentiles to be sent to the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, but he's concerned that the Jewish Christians, A, that the Gentiles would give it for Jewish Christians, and B, that the Jewish Christians would receive it from Gentiles. <laughs> so he's very concerned about that. So Paul was always taking up those offerings, those collections, and, and distributing those, those funds for the poor, especially poor Christians. Now, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Now, that being the only thing noted, question, out of all the things that are critically important to the Christian faith, why is quote, remembering the poor, the only factor noted. As if that is the most important thing. Well, I think it's good to help somebody in need. I mean, Why? Uh, For me, I hate to see somebody suffer. Okay. You know, I've been there. And if I can do something that helps somebody, I do it. Who? Maybe not monetarily. Right. But uh, something may be done, like cleaning. Laundry, uh, run places. Who else do we know that doesn't want to see people suffer? What a trick question. <laughs> right, that's, yes, you're exactly right. Because the way we interact with the poor is perhaps the best demonstration of Christ to the world. Precisely. He's way ahead of me. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Save me all the trouble of saying that. No, exactly. I mean, Jesus defined that throughout his ministry. When you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me, he says. So the way that, that we interact with the poor, and it's not always monetary. You're exactly right. It's, in fact, probably rarely should be, because the, the, the problem of poverty Money doesn't fix money problems, right? There's something else behind the scenes that we have to, to spend time with and discover what that is. Unfortunately, churches and individual Christians for many, many years have somehow pacified ourselves with thinking that we'll just give them money. But somehow they come back next month saying they need more money, right? We've, we've actually fostered and promoted a welfare mentality 
from the church. I mean, if the government does it, then doesn't mean we have to do it. But we've to give ourselves, you know, that 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 warm fuzzy feeling. We we will give them a buck or five bucks or something. And oh boy, I feel really good about myself. Well, what about the the core issue? So that takes a great deal more time to settle. So when people call me up, and it's every week, I get calls for people that are being evicted and don't have any oil and you know blah, 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 all that stuff. I mean, it's incredible, the need out there. And that's after they've checked out with so many other helping agencies, and, and then they start going down the list of churches. I had somebody from Saxton call me the other day. Right? Gone through a whole list of churches, nobody helps, and they finally wind up on our doorstep. I mean, it just, it's incredible. But to get you a tank of oil, you know, why is the question never asked? How'd, how'd you get in a situation to start with? <laughs> and secondly, what are you going to do to prevent this from happening next month? What resources are you putting into place? People get evicted. I have gotten calls from people who are going to be evicted at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and call me up at 3 o'clock. Now, the eviction process takes months. <laughs> you can't just, you know, landlord doesn't show up and say, you're evicted today. It takes months. Months. Didn't you see this coming? <laughs> if you don't pay your rent, you will be evicted. That's all there is to it. So, you know, like I say, there's a deeper issue there somewhere. So, if, if help is necessary immediately, then it's under the condition of you have to help me, help me help you come to a long-term solution so this doesn't happen again. Because just money is, is, is not going to do it. It just actually makes us codependent with whatever dysfunction is hiding behind the scenes. And churches have, we've done a terrible job at that for many, many years. I mean, there, there are ministries, you know, you hear a lot of the... Uh, uh, Religious shows on TV and online, you know, these, they show people, you know, that have to walk five miles to the river to get water. Well, it's terrible. So you give a couple hundred dollars and this ministry will go into that, that, that tribe or that wherever it is and dig a well in your name. Awesome. Because I want people to have water. What a blessing. The ministry goes in, does not recruit help from the locals <laughs> sends you know, our missionaries in digs the well for them shows them pump this handle a couple times and you get water and leaves so the people were not involved in the construction they don't understand the process have you ever notice things break um, yeah. I mean that well's not going to last forever it gets rusty and things break well a year two three down the road sure enough it breaks and they're walking five miles back to the river because they have no resource to fix it. They leave them spare parts. They, they, they don't do anything. It's a temporary fix at best. And actually it's worse in the long run because now they remember, oh, we used to have water, now we've got to walk five miles down the river. You know, there's no sense in that. We're not really helping them. We need to find a longer term solution, which takes more time and takes more effort. But that's what we as Christians are compelled to do. It's not the quick fix. The quick fix doesn't do it. This is a, a poverty is a, a very complex and ingrained issue that a couple bucks is not going to solve. 
If we could have solved it, we would have done so a long time ago. Good. Jeff, verse 10 in the international version says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The message says, the only additional thing they asked was that we remember the poor. I wonder why they changed it to additional, or should it well, ending that anyway? The, the, the additional was implied in terms of what previously just happened. Okay. Which, you know, I, what I was saying earlier, I mean, they, they already agreed on every other aspect of the Christian faith. All the essential truths were all set. But just to make sure, that's where the poor comes in, right? So it, it is in addition to, or supplementary to, or however you want to word that, but yes, that's, that's not a, an inaccurate translation, okay. but it's, it just, it's a culmination of what, what has occurred previously. That, so basically saying, all right, we share all this, but whatever you do, don't forget the poor. That's really what, what is being said, because, again, the way we treat the poor is the, the most direct reflection of our relationship with Jesus, because isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He's with the poor the vast majority of the time. Plus, maybe it's not just the poor materialistic, but the poor in spirit. Yes, precisely, which is a beatitude, right? Yeah, it's not blessed are the poor. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. So yes, there's a, there's a lot of different forms of poverty. Yes, precisely. But interesting, a lot of them overlap. You, you will often find a person financially poor is also spiritually poor, right? And that's, again, where the church has fallen short. We just give money, but not in the name of Jesus. Not in a means of extending that if we're working with the least and the last and the lost, and Jesus says, you, know, you want to give that person a, a cup of cold water, not, not a glass of champagne, but the most simple, basic, elementary substance, a cup of cold water. But in so doing, that's what they really need, you see. You know, they, they tell us what they need. Oftentimes, it's certainly been my discovery in ministry, that's not what you need. And yes, when, when I determine that's not what you need, I need to help you, and it's going to take more time for us to discover you know, the actual answer to this. There, I've had people get up and walk out of my office. If you're not going to give me 50 bucks today, then I'll go somebody else because I want to buy drugs and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not going to help you do that. I'm not going to become codependent with you. The church is not going to become codependent with you. So we want to help you get out of this cycle of poverty. And in so doing, bring Christ into your life. So yeah, so invite them to come to church with us to you know, help, help in those ways. But that's why you know, we've talked about this lots of times. Yeah, you know, somebody, yeah, some, last night somebody was talking about, you know, just right out here in the streets of Bedford. Somebody just walking up to people randomly saying, can you give, give me five bucks? Well, for what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's usually not good. You know, I would say, well, let's take a walk down to my office here and we'll, we'll talk about it. Or if they say, you know, can you give me five, five bucks for a meal? Don't give them five bucks for a meal. Because an opportunity is lost then to share Christ, you see? 
You know, the proper response is, I will take you out to dinner. Now, what a sign of hospitality that is, right? I'll be willing to spend time with you in a meal and in so doing, be able to model the truth of Christ to you in that time. Or then just here's five bucks, now get out of my way. Right? So it's got to be the physical help as well as the spiritual help. The church has pacified itself for way too long with just physical help. Yeah, I was burned, you know, a couple of times. You know, my son would say, Mom, can you help us with diapers and whatnot? And I'd give them the money, yeah. you know. They'd go get drugs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I finally would get say, I'll go buy the diapers. That's right. Yeah, and you then see? They'd get, oh, no, no, no. We, see, you know. yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. He done that to me. Yeah. A couple yeah. times before I. There's a lot of manipulation, a lot of lying, and yeah, it just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That we, they're in this situation because they're, they're making some bad choices. We have to help find what those bad choices are and correct that. But just giving the money, we might as well say what you're doing is just wonderful and tremendous. Just keep, keep on doing that. Keep, keep on begging for the rest of your life. And that becomes generational. I mean, they pass it on to the next generation, to the next, and the next, and the next. And, you know, that's on us. So, yes, we need to do a much, much better job of that. Um, so, if nothing else, you need to know I'm on top of this. <laughs> and each of us individually, because we find ourselves in those situations. You know, people asking or, um, in so many different situations, no matter where you are. Somebody's going to come up to you and ask, ask for money. The Christian thing to do would be, the most important thing is a willingness to put more time into it. Rather than just give a buck and walk away, it's going to take more time. You'd be better off not giving that dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is. Because you're not helping the problem, really. I think loving, um, they're, they're more serious about it, you know, yeah. helping somebody. I know when my husband needed a wheelchair, we couldn't find one. So I called and I said, do you have any for sale? And they said, well, we don't sell things, but then they needed everything but our passport to find yeah. out about So I said, oh, forget it, you know. <laughs> you know, they don't just hand out stuff. That's right. You know, which is good. Right, uh, pre precisely what I'm saying. Yes, it's, you know, the, because, I mean, we, we, we had somebody here in our angel tree ministry, you know, that we adopt a, a kid or a family or whatever and, you know, get them, you know, nice winter coat, boots and all that and then a toy and everything. So, oh, this is great and wonderful. Well, we had one, one of the mothers, you know, came here, got the gifts with her kids, went down to Walmart, exchanged it for, for, for cash money, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it's not a good situation. <laughs> you know, not only are you missing a chance to minister, what about the uh, scripture that tells we're to be good stewards? Yeah. You're not being a good no. steward when you're being an enabler. Precisely. Even but, if you have it, you just don't give it away like that. Yeah, but, but we've... We, uh, We've simply allowed ourselves to take such an easy path in this, and it's not, it's not easy. I mean, you know, Jesus spent a great deal of time with the woman at the well. 
right? Just to just to drill down on that and get her to realize that, yeah, what she's doing is wrong. If he'd have just walked in there and said, "Give me a drink of water," and you're a bad person, you need to fix fix your life. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. He spent time with her and helped helped her to open up and realize, yeah, the choices I'm making in my life are not not in my best interest. I need to I need to change. Yeah, I always feel guilty when I pull out from Walmart and the person's standing there with the dog and my yeah. I'm like. We talked about that last night as well, and uh, somebody in our evening Bible study thought, well, you know, they, they have a need, they obviously are hungry, went over and bought, bought McDonald's right across the street and I brought it to them. You know what they did? They fed it to the dog. Yeah. yeah. And bought umpteen dollars worth, much more than any of us would have bought, food for the day, and then went down and stood on the corner and begged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. From everything I would determine yeah. that you know, people have, have checked the background of these people, and yeah, they're 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 gypsy type folk, and yeah, just just taking the the thing that that, that tripped me though with that. You know, you see somebody out there with their hand out, but the dog. Yeah. Yeah. The dog really got me. Yeah. Be right. <laughs> because you know what? People will mm -hmm. respond to the needs of a pet, pet. Yep. more than a child in need. Yep. In our culture today, seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got we got more more commercials for for saving animals than we do saving children. It's a little oh. bit off the path, but did you see the thing in the paper the other day where the woman left her infant in the basement in a chair and the ferrets, she had two ferrets, got out yeah. and took the nose, cheek, and lip, lip off of that baby? They took the children from her, but they said, my point is, they said there was more food in that house for the ferrets yep. than there was for the children. Tony. You, yeah. you listen to people talk. They, they, they will talk more about pets yep. than children or grandchildren. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a strange... Yeah, yeah, it's a it's little, little off, off base. But yeah, ser seriously, Amy, it was, yeah. it, it was the dog that... Uh, just like I, say, the, the, I, saw, I saw them walk the dog up on the, on yeah. the road that had salt on it. It was holding its paws up. Yeah. You know, because you're not supposed to... <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I think they were living down here in uh, motel house. Yes, that, that, that is true, which yeah. is incredibly expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's many hundreds of dollars a month to live in a hotel, for crying out loud. But yeah, yeah, it, it was just, so like I say, that, that whole mentality, that's what you're going to find more times than not. And every aspect of that is wrong, but that's all they know. So then it, it behooves us then to rather than be codependent with that, enable that behavior, we need to intersect that with the truth and somehow re redirect at that point. But it's, it's it's a much longer process. It's amazing what your friends, the way your friends can influence you mm -hmm. in this way. I know somebody that carries extra umbrellas in her car. I know this same person has stopped and given her groceries. And that's okay, but does she know where it's really going? Yeah. And what it's really doing? I think it's it's backwards. Yeah. Well, and we and we need to have that that same clear thought in terms of 
all of our giving. I mean, whether it's to the church or whether you, know, you see some commercial on TV, you need to do research and find out what that money goes toward. And you'll discover that if it's a commercial on TV, 80% of your dollar goes to making that commercial. You're lucky if 20% actually goes to the child you're trying to help. Yeah. yeah. But you need to do that research. There are, there are organizations out there that do the research for you. You just have to get on that website and check and see. And, you know, I mean, they, they might have to do a little bit of advertising, but TV time is hugely, hugely expensive. I mean, that, that you know, save the children, whatever that is, that's like a five-minute commercial. That's yeah. millions of dollars it cost them. Well, where'd they get that money? It's probably 95% of your dollar went to make, make that commercial. Yeah, there are better ways of doing it is what I'm saying. That, you know, don't, don't get sucked into, you know, the, those cute little eyes of either the pet or the child. And it's, oh, you know, and, or the, you know, the famous TV star or singer or whatever that, you know, is, you know, singing in the background and, you know, pulling at your heartstrings. I mean, you need to be very logical and pragmatic about it and, and do the best you can. But we, 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 we can't continue to support you know, such dysfunction in our society. And that's, that's really what the, what, the, what the church has done. It's, it's just been atrocious. But uh, um, you know, we're, I think, starting to come back to where we need to be, but most churches will continue to, to help in such simple, ineffective ways and think that they're doing the right thing. We, they're not, because you helped them last month and they're still winding up on my doorstep this month. Yeah, so. Can I tell you a little story? Oh, we love stories. <laughs> tell me a story. Long, long time ago when I was uh, working back in Pittsburgh, I worked with a gentleman from India. A very intelligent man. He, in fact, very, you know, worked three jobs. And as we were talking, he goes, well, I asked him, I said, are you going to be going back to India? He says, yeah, he said, I'm, I'm going to make my fortune and I'm going to go back to India. And I thought, well, he's a hard worker, that's fine. And then I said to him, I said, well, are you going to help your people out when you get back there? And he looked at me and he said, are you kidding? That's what care packages are for. He was not willing to help. He figured, well, Christians right. would do it for him. Yep, that's part of that welfare mentality. I mean, it's just—it's it's so prevalent in our culture today. It's, I mean, it's I, just unbelievable. It, it surprised me because he was industrious. I mean, he was a hard worker. He was putting in the time. He, you know, it all for his own benefit. Oh, yeah. He wanted to go back and, and live like a king in his Hometown. country. Yep, yep. There's a fine line, though. I've been like sitting here yep. trying not to speak. The things that we do for people, and when I was in the schools and in the position where I would see, um, it's the parents who then, and you know, I became cynical because I would have kids come to my office and say, I can't wait for Christmas because the churches will all give to our family. They were waiting for the haul they were going to get from different churches. And they knew which churches were giving, too. And yet, then you have the kid who really, like the mother who took and got, that kid may need a coat, may need 
Boots may need those things. And so it's, it's a, a delicate process of doing, doing the research to someone you trust within the system where you're giving the things if you want to get that fine-tuned about it to make sure. So then I go back and forth, well, I'm, I should give and not worry about where it's going because God tells me to do that <laughs> or give it and not be a cheerful giver. <laughs> and it might not be going where you, where you deem it. It's a, it's a fine line. Honest. And, I, I, and each case is different. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That That's the time that we have to put in. There's no standard policy. Every situation is different. And yeah. So what I chose to do, right or wrong, was rather than just buy or whomever, I knew who needed So I would go get but see, then that's me controlling the action. You know, I felt good about that. I'm controlling it. I know where it's going and I know it's needed. But is that right? You know, not to support the ministries here and just do it on my own. You see what I mean? It's a tough... Oh, it is. It's a tough call. You know, and I felt like a cynical person. But go, go back to what Judy said. I mean, the goal is to be, to be a good steward. Right, so you have to do that. All that investigative research, you've got to do all. You know, just weigh it all in the balance, and how can I be the best steward? And that might mean not giving to that ministry or helping that cause, but helping this one. It just, you know, would work out. And if, frankly, if everybody would would go through that process, these ineffective ones that spend all their money on TV advertising will fall by the wayside because they no one's supporting them anymore. But there, yeah, TV really, really does speak to you. You actually know a family. Want to help them? You know what's going on, where money's going. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. No, I we really think that maybe right here within, just within our own church, there ought to be more research done about the names that go on the trees. They, they you know? do. Stacy, Stacy and a group do analyze that, but they, they get the recommendation from the school that, you know, so it's, you know, a, a need has been identified already, but yes, there, there is some of that done. Yeah, Obviously, we, we can't do it 100%. I know that um, for a while I was in the elementary, and I know we do backpacks here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also know that another group brought backpacks to the elementary. Yes. They ended up in a room and occasionally, somebody would come along and say, I think this child needs one of these, and then would see that that one got it. But a lot of them sat there at the biggest part of the year. Really? Well, how would you like to think that your giving went there? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a little, sometimes I think I'm a little tight, and then other times I think I'm a little smart. It can be both. <laughs> no, really, but but that's all part of being a good steward. Yeah. They say, yeah, being a good steward is yeah you know, requires more time on our part. That's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, rather than just indiscriminately throwing money around and you know, it, it just we do that more for ourselves than for the other person. Seriously, because we're actually hurting the other person, but we feel good about it. Now, something that that, that is you know happened every year here is uh, we, we have some folks in the church that, that always pull me aside and say, you know, do you know of somebody that has a need this Christmas? I always do. And so they give me uh, 
you know, money or gift cards or you know, something, you know. And then I'm able to find that family, you know, with a genuine, <laughs> sincere need, because you know I know them, and uh, and be able to 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 help them out. That's that's awesome. But yeah, when because they say I don't know anybody that has a need. I know there's somebody has a need. You probably pastor know who that is. Here, you you distribute these funds in that way. That's that's a pretty pretty effective way of doing it. So because I do the screening and you know make sure it's it, it's done properly. So yeah, you have these schools like you said saying yes, this child's in need of this and this. Okay, that's cool. But I know my guardian daughter. And Graham's son, I bought them things they needed, but then their mother took them and sold them. So how do you know? Yeah, the schools see these children need this stuff, but then the parents just go and, right. and that's, you have uh, no control over that. Right. Then you've that's, done the right thing. Right. You have to let it go. Yeah. That's, 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 that's statistically not much. It's only yeah one out of a hundred. I mean, we, we had, I think I told you we had had, had another family that uh, the mother called Stacy and said that they couldn't be here for the Sunday night giveaway, and uh, would we hold the kids' gifts? And the reason why she had no problem. Stacy didn't ask why. She revealed that the reason why we can't be here be here to collect our needy children's gifts is because we're on a family vacation. We, we won't be flying back from our family vacation at Disney World. <laughs> that was another phone. Stacia, we had a good laugh over that one. It's like, well, you're not getting more gifts. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we can figure those things out. But you know, another downside of this, um, a good book to get on this topic. Yeah, you know, we need to educate ourselves and we need to be, be, be smart and good stewards. A really good book I highly recommend is a book entitled Toxic Charity. It's on precisely what we're talking about. Uh, in other words, a more effective way for churches and Christians to give to, to causes. And it's, it's an awesome book. But in, in that, the, the, the author talks about Maybe the worst part about our just giving, including Christmas toys and, 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 and coats and all of that to kids, is his church did that for years, and they would take, not bring, which I disagree with the way they did it, at least we're bringing people into the church. We're exposing them to some Christians and saying, aren't we nice people, and wouldn't you like to be here with us, right? And because we always, we have a... Christian-themed program that we present to these these guys, and uh, you know, especially at Christmas time, we get to, to share with them the Christmas story and invitation, and tell them about worship, and you know, we got stuff for your kids to do and all that. So we you know get a little PR work, um, but their church actually took the gifts to the the families would have an arranged time. We're knocking on a door and and bring the gifts in to give to the kids. And what this guy noticed was if on the rare occasion, a father is present, the father would leave the room because he felt so bad that he could not provide these gifts for his kids. So we've actually demoralized him in the so it's it's so complex. But you know that's what that's what us trying to alleviate poverty in a ineffective way results. In. It makes it way way worse. We'd be better off not doing it at all. Just un unbelievable. So, now not every father would do that, but he noticed 
And then finally asked one. And the guy told him. With tears. I mean, I, I just I feel so bad that I, I, I can't provide for my own kids. So let's help the father, you know, be more effective as, as a father and a breadwinner and all of that. And uh, see, that would be a, a much better solution than a one-time gift giveaway, <laughs> right? It just Which really is not solving the problem at all. And actually is, is, is worsening the relationship with children and father. So we need to work with the, the, the whole family structure. But seriously, get Talks to Charity. It's, a, it's an easy read. Uh, you could read it long enough if you sit long enough. Um, you know, one day, um, but it's it's a really eye-opening book. Uh, we actually had the the author here in Bedford last year. Uh, we went to great expense to get him to come because his his message is so so incredibly powerful. Do we have it in the library here? Pardon me. Do we have that book here in the library? Mm, I can't remember if that was one I recommended or not. Um, but now hearing you say that, that's something I've got to recommend that we do get. So, yes, you want to get a couple copies of it because it's, it's really, I mean, it's completely different than everything we've ever done before. It just is. You know, we've, we've just gotten into this habit of, you know, let's just give money and dig a well and do this, that, and the other thing. And we sit here and think, oh, gee, I'm really effective in ministry. No, we're not. We're, we're actually making the situation worse, and we're, we're locking it more into that welfare mentality rather than help them getting, getting out of it long, long term. So, still talking about the poor. So, again, Judy, that, whatever that other, the message translation, you know, in, in addition to, right? So, what, what it has done so far is to say that we agree on the essentials. Now, this is really important because Paul, Paul's calling is different than James, Peter, and John. Paul is called to minister and share the gospel with Gentiles. They're called to share it with Jews. It's a different calling, but the same message. See? You don't tailor the message for Jew or Gentile. The truth is the truth irregardless of circumstance. And if the truth will set you free, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you see. So the culture doesn't matter. The truth is the truth. So, question. After all this discussion, after discovering what they, they figure out is the truth and all that they've, they've agreed on, for us today, is it necessary for all Christians to agree on every aspect of the Christian faith? Yes. Everything. Yes. Well, they should. Yes. Do we have to agree on what kind of music we should use in worship? Do we have to agree on what translation of the Bible we use? No. Okay, so, no. so we don't agree on everything. But the essentials. The essentials. That's, see, that's the line. And that's what they did here in Jerusalem. The four big guns got together and came to a consensus. We 100% agree that this is 100% of the truth. And oh, by the way, part of that truth is the poor, just don't forget the poor. 
So it's not 100% plus the poor. The poor is included in the 1%, but they're simply highlighting that as saying this is really, really important and a, a great demonstration of who we are as Christians. So we agree on the relatively few matters that are important because we're not going to agree on everything. And it would be kind of silly to expect us to do that. That's why churches split. We, we, we find something that we don't agree on and we focus on that secondary issue that's really not necessary for salvation and make that now the dividing force in our lives. So it's becoming more common and I've talked to people here in, in, in this church who, who've experienced it is uh, if you go to another church and usually a independent, more fundamental type church uh, it's becoming common that they will, before you can join that church, you must sign a document stating this is what we believe. These are the things we share in common. If you were to read the document, you will discover that the vast majority, if not all of it, are not, sec are, are not the primary issues. You don't have to agree that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. But you do have to agree that we will use the King James Version of the Bible. Really. Or that we won't dance. Or that we won't do this. It's usually thou shalt nots. Uh -huh. you, know, you will not do this. That's what you're signing to. I will not do those things. That's becoming more and more common. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, we, we actually have have folks in, in, in this church that were in a situation like that. Um, not to become a member, but to become part of the administration of the church. You know, a, an elder or a board member would be equivalent to what, 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 what we have. So to become a board member, you had to sign a document saying, I won't do this, I won't do that. But one of the things was, I, I will not consume alcohol. And so apparently the pastor got word that some of them were, in fact, doing a little consumption, imbibing. And so he called the board together on a Saturday morning and, and just laid a question out. Any of you drinking? No, Pastor, no, no, no. And the guy that now is part of our church said, no, wait a minute, I saw you coming out of the state store the other day and you were down here at the local bar and, you know, I mean... Why lie about it? So, you know, and just, I mean, if you're going to agree to it, then, then agree to it. But, you know, why, why, why write, writing it down on paper means nothing unless you're actually going to do it. So they thought, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites, so we're leaving that church and, <laughs> and they're here. So it just it always made me laugh. So, you know, if you sign in documents, eh, that's not going not gonna to do it. When, it, when you're saying, I, I believe this, it's much more effective to just teach people to do it and, 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 and admonish people to do it, expect people to do it, but people are going to do what people are going to do anyway. So we can't monitor all your activities. It just gets to the point of ridiculous. So we have to figure out, like these guys did, what the important things are, come to complete and total agreement in those matters, and hold ourselves accountable to that. The rest of the stuff we can have lovely conversations with and fight till the cows come home, but we will maintain that essential and basic truth. Because, if you were to go back to verse 8, for God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. 
In other words, God does not work in just one way on most of these matters. God is at work in various expressions. So there is authentic expressions of our relationship with God through Christ in the spectrum of worship experiences. You might be away somewhere and go to a church, just stumble into a church, and it's just so bizarre you don't know what to do. I mean, the music is just way too loud, and it does this, that, or that. I mean, it just... But by the same token, it might be music that does something else, or, you know, it just those, those external secondary issues may not be what you're looking for. But the point is, are the essential matters is what the pastor preaching about. Is that the truth of the gospel? The rest of it is to support that truth. But just because you don't like the music or just because you don't like the translation of the Bible should not mean that, well, these are, these are not Christians. That's not the definition. It may not be your way, but there's a good chance that God is still doing great things in and through the way they're doing. So we don't all have to be the same in, in how, how we present the gospel, but we do have to be the same in the fact that we are presenting the truth of the gospel. We keep getting mad over the presentation and not whether the, the integrity of the truth is being maintained. The three pillars of the Jerusalem church, James, Peter, and John, along with Paul, exchanged the right hand of fellowship. Now, the right hand of fellowship is much more than just a handshake. Looks like a handshake. But done publicly... You see what Paul does here? He goes to Jerusalem and gets an agreement officially between the leaders. They come to a theological agreement. They verbally agree. And now what Paul is saying is we also publicly agreed. The four of us stood in, out in public allowing other Christians to see us shaking hands as a sign of our agreement. You ever notice a president does that all the time? With whatever dignitary, whatever other world leader, the press is there, and do you notice how many snapshots are taken? Flash bulbs going off like crazy when those two hands meet. Because that means that they're saying publicly, we agree. They would not shake hands if they, if they behind the scenes could not come to agreement. You don't disagree in private and then come out and agree in public. Because what we see is what we're going to hold you accountable to do. And that's what they're demonstrating here. We were in agreement in private and now we will publicly proclaim our agreement for all the world to see. That's really, really important.
After all that agreement, now look what Paul does with Peter. <laughs> Peter reverts back to being the big dumb jerk that he used to be. At least in one occasion. But Paul is saying in this matter, and this is really you know, the, the core of what Paul is saying. He's basically saying you Galatian churches are so messed up because one of our premier leaders can't seem to get it right either. So now he accuses Peter of being a hypocrite. And this is the real crux of the matter. That issue of Jewish legalism created a rift between Paul and Peter and Barnabas. So let me ask a question. What is so wrong about acting one way with a certain group and a different way with a second group? What's so bad about that? You're not being truthful to yourself. Okay, so coming back to truth. You know, if you're saying this is, you know, we act according to what we believe, don't we? So if you're acting one way, you're saying, I believe this with this group. Now over here, you're saying, I believe something different. Have we not already established you can't have two essential truths? <laughs> right? So it call, calls into question, well, what, what is truth? Do you, do you even have a truth? Right? So what else is so, so, so necessary about acting the same? Or what would be the, the downside of acting differently with two different groups? Ah. Right, so confusion is a great word to use. Yeah, Paul uses that word because that's what it does. When you start to change the truth, the immediate response of those who observe that is confusion. That's kind of what Deb's saying. Yeah, well, what do you believe? Right? It should be clearly evident what you believe by the way you're living. But now that's in question. Inconsistent. Inconsistency breeds contempt. So it's not confusion then morphs into something even worse. Yeah, more of a, a, an overt attack. That Are we not as good as the other group? Right. Yep. So that's what Paul is calling hypocrisy. And he's got some stern words to say about that. So what Paul is noting, this is the historical facts of the matter. Here's the history. At Jesus' ascension, he says, go into all the world. The disciples go back to Jerusalem, hunker down in the upper room for about an eight-day period. Holy Spirit comes upon them in the upper room, winds blowing like crazy, fire dancing above their heads. They go dashing out. Okay, we're taking a message out. 3,000 except Christ that day. We're off and running. But somehow, the church, led by Peter, never saw the need to go any further. It was a strictly Jerusalem-based religion. And then you get into all those aspects of, since we are where the headquarters of the Jewish faith is, you can see now how difficult it was to separate Christianity from Judaism, the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. Uh, 
That's why they kept struggling for years and years and years with the, the Old Testament food laws in particular. You know, and bringing back all that legalism. Because when you're headquartered there, you refuse to branch out, then you're kind of stuck. They have no other way of, of looking at it. But finally, finally, in the book of Acts, this was weeks and months down the road, but finally Peter is up on a roof, taking a little siesta, and has a vision. A sheet comes down from heaven with all the animals of earth on it. And then the voice of Jesus says, Go ahead, Peter. Find something, kill it, and eat it. Oh, knoweth, lordeth, he saith. I cannot do that because there's unclean animals there. In particular, pigs. I can't do that. Jesus says, yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. And they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until finally Peter understands. Okay. There is no separation of food. Food has always been used as a means of either A, separating individuals and groups, or B, bringing individuals and groups together. It can be the most divisive thing in our lives, or it can be the most accommodating and hospitable. Up to that point, they use food as the dividing force. Peter now understands if you follow through the story, the very next thing that happens, as soon as he wakes up from that vision, there's a knock at the door. One of the Christians comes to Peter and says, there's a Gentile down the street that wants to meet with you. Peter says, okay. Because now I understand there's nothing separating us. He goes down and actually has a meal with the guy. <gasps> Word gets out. By the time he gets back to headquarters, all the other guys there heard what happened. And as soon as Peter enters the room, they, are you kidding me? Oh, you've destroyed the Christian faith. Oh, they go off and off and on. No, no, no. Jesus says, okay. And ever since then, Peter's cool with, with Gentiles. No problem. Jesus told me. I believe him. We're fine. So for years, Peter has no problem associating with Gentiles. Now, in the dispersion, Peter is forced out of Jerusalem. Now is in Antioch, far, far away. A lot more Gentiles. Actually, exclusively Gentiles. So Peter now, even though he felt his calling was to the Jews, there ain't no Jews around. I'm still going to share Jesus with whoever's there. Bunch of Gentiles. I'm hanging out with Gentiles. I'm you know, going to dinner with them. We're doing all kinds of things. We're just having the time of our lives. And that went on for years. Cool, way it should be. But then there came a particular day when Peter got advance word that some men from James, now this is Jesus' half brother James, who in Peter's absence now became the leader of the Christian church. So some official delegates from Top Dog now are coming to see Peter. Peter had been hanging out with Gentiles. When those Jewish Christians came, Peter says, I don't associate with Christians. I only, I only stick with Jews. 
Paul has a problem with that. <laughs> right? He you, said he didn't associate with Gentiles. 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 That, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not associating with, with the Gentiles. So not, not, only not trying to convert them, not even associating with them at all. I will not eat with them. Because, see, the whole basis of this is who you're going to have dinner with. Because he felt pressure by that they're coming. Yes. Like he was doing it all, but when they came, he was like, oops. Yeah. I might get in trouble if, mm -hmm. if they find out and take that back to James. There might be sanctions against me. So just to you know, save that aggravation, I will act differently. I will be a hypocrite. I'll put on a different face for these guys than the face I put on. And so that's why I'm asking what's so wrong about acting differently with two different groups. They both can't be true. And that's what Paul is finding so offensive. I mean, Paul's flipping out here. He was clearly wrong, Paul says in verse 11. Clearly. Now, it goes even deeper. The organization of the Christian church back in the early days, it didn't last that long. By this time, it was no longer an operation. But early on, they decided that before you could become a Christian, you had to sell all your property, give the money to the disciples who would then take care of your needs. You would live in a... Remember, remember the communes of the 1960s? Yeah, it was just... Yeah, commune, communism. Uh, you see the connection? I mean, it was really a, a more pure form of communism, if you will. That everybody was treated equally, everybody had the same thing, everybody had that in, in common. But everybody had different jobs, you know, so you weren't part of the commune and sat around all day and wait for people to feed you. Some people are taking care of crops, and some people are, are, are making clothes, and some people are doing this and that and the other thing. And so everything got done as a community, but everybody was equal. That's pretty much the way the early church started. We will actually live together. We'll take care of all your needs. If you need clothing, we'll get you clothing. But then we'll have a pool of funds that now we can help poor people as well. And in so doing, here's the cool part, invite them to our evening common meal. Every night in the early church, they celebrated the sacrament of Holy Communion. You see that the very last sentence in the book of uh, chapter 2 of Acts. They devoted themselves to four things, and one of them was the breaking of bread, celebrating communion, because it was, it was truly the best way of introducing the Christian faith to, some, to a Gentile. So the goal was, everybody's supposed to bring somebody to dinner tonight. So they get a nice meal, so we're not going to use food to divide, we're actually going to use food to invite, and there can educate and acquaint people with the Christian faith. Now, it must have been a little weird. Here's who we are. Take this. What's this? this is, you're, you're now eating the body of our Savior. Oh, here. Drink his blood as well. Ah! <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, that certainly opens up the door for some conversation, doesn't it? So, and that's what they did. It was very effective. But they welcomed people in. So, they, once the dispersion happened, then they simply took that model out. That now... Our goal is to eat together. 
We want to share together. So if there's a group of us Christians and we want to invite others, individuals or even other groups of non-believers into this meal with us. When I was in seminary, every day we had lunch together and believe it or not, it was called common meal. So there's not any division here. There's no better student and worse student. They're just students. We're all in this together. Common. It's a great, great model. But they did do that in the, in the early church to establish that. that. God shows no favorites and God wants to invite you as he has already invited us into this relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Peter lived that for many years but now had made a choice on a particular day to go against that basic policy. And Paul found out about it and he is really, really mad. You're a hypocrite. And a hypocrite, the definition means more than what we have in English of putting on a mask. In Paul's day, the word hypocrite meant that you were actually contradictory. I think it was a word Dave used a while ago, right? You're contradictory within yourself, right? You're having an argument with yourself. And if you can't figure out the one thing you believe, then how are the rest of us ever going to have any, 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 any trust in anything you believe? So Paul is saying, Peter, by that one single act, you have reverted the Christian faith back 20 years <laughs> to where we were essentially on Pentecost Sunday. You've taken us back to the Stone Age by doing this one incredibly stupid thing. Now, Paul's got, got some more to say about that, and we can pick that up next week and continue on, but let's see if we can switch gears and try a little pray now because this is a really big and complex issue that we need to spend some more time with but uh, you know and what I want to do next week is you know help us to modernize this and see how a we can do this bad thing that Peter did today and maybe more importantly B how we can prevent ourselves from doing this bad thing Peter did way back when today so yeah we have to make make that application to our lives today with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.